Hi there, Michael Zuber. Thanks for listening to the One Rental at a Time podcast. Did you know that the book One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible? Yes, to all my podcast listeners out there, One Rental at a Time is now available on Audible. Go check it out and please leave a five-star review. Have a great day. Hey everyone, it is Wednesday and that means your favorite expert is back with us today and that is Anna Kelly. How are you doing, Anna? I'm great today, Michael. How are you? I'm doing very well. I, I, I love always love our interviews. They're always so much fun and then people just lots and lots of comments and feedback on all your videos. So you have, uh, you have lots of true fans out there. Thank you so much. It's my honor to be your guest every week and to be able to add value to our listeners. Thank you. Thank you. So the thing I want to talk about today is uh, the Fed. Uh, specifically, we'll talk about the Fed and their, you know, their most recent announcement, which came out today after two, their two-day meeting. But also, we'll get into you know, the, the Fed, what they're doing this time versus last time, because uh, it's amazing to see what they've done in less than 30 days. It really is. And you know, every time they announce something new, I think, oh, if they'll just do this, then maybe things will be okay. And you know, it's, it's like, are they going to take a a step back and not do any more? Are they going to keep going? And, and they're actually, you know, working very aggressively and diligently to, to try to stabilize the economy. So it's, it's better and better news as we go, actually. Yeah, I agree with that. And one of the greatest chuckles I get these days is when somebody comes out and has the, the gumption to say the Fed's out of bullets. I'm like, are you kidding me? <laughs> they make up the rules. How come the person who makes up the rules be out of bullets? I mean, come on. That is true. They have, and you know, just one of the example to your point is they created all these big rules after the last big, you know, the great financial recession and great financial crisis to boost banks' reserves and make yep. sure that if they're going to be lending, especially because risk could go up, default, they have to have you know a big percentage of reserves. And I was shocked when they changed the reserve rate to zero and said, yeah. "Banks, you don't have to keep anything. We'll just keep lending you money for free." Just keep lending. And so that showed me, whoa, like they're serious about keeping us from going into, you know, deflationary or stagnation yeah. territory. And yeah. they're going to pull out all the stops. But I was, I was really quite shocked because I lived through all the regulation that mm. was put in place in, with a big financial industry yeah. because of all of these different rules. And I mean, one dry, drop of the pen and, and they were gone. So yeah, it, it teaches you exactly that. Because I was one of those, Michael, that thought the Fed really has a few key tools that they use. Sure. You know, sure. Fed funds rate, pumping yep. a bunch of money in. And if they wanted to, they could start buying, you talked about this, start buying, you know, some stock of different mm -hmm. companies, buying MBS. But they're actually doing a lot more than those four things that we know are, are really their primary tools. Yeah, it's, it's very clear when you go back and look at the Fed in other crises, lots of us only think of the last one, right? Yeah. And when you go back and look at all, all crises preceding this, many of them before we were born, you know, thankfully, um, it's pretty amazing to see the Fed just keeps adding and getting more creative. And again, they, they, I'll, what I'll say is they are adding grease to what they perceive as the greatest choking point. Some of them they create, let's be clear. Some of them they've created and they had to go back yeah. and fix later. Uh, right. But I'm, I'm amazed. This is less than 30 days. And, and what I experienced in the last crisis as a borrower and an investor was um, it was very slow, right? It, it felt like it was very slow, right? It felt like there was a slow grind and they didn't even 
pay attention for the first 12 months. Not this time. They, they've been paying attention for the first 12 hours. I mean, they've just yeah. been on it. And I think they learned a lot from the last one because for the last one, you know, it, it was very corporate and, and lending driven. Yeah. But most of the money and, and the time that went in, it was really to stabilize the, the Wall Street and the financial system that was so intertwined. They had mm. to keep it from collapsing. But there was very little done really for small businesses and consumers who yeah. ended up going into foreclosure and bankruptcy because of all the fallout. This time, they really have stepped it up to say, we're going to help the little guys, you know, mm-hmm. for, for all of the problems that have happened and, you know, the, the delays and red tape and, you know, glitches and getting the money out, they mm-hmm. still very, very quickly have put stimulus, you know, money in the hands of people. They've rolled out these, you know, multiple programs for small businesses. They funded it again, you know, so they're this time, instead of bailing out wall street, at least as it was perceived, mm-hmm. they're really helping uh, the normal, the average consumer and the average small business. So, so it's yeah. been, it's been nice to see. Yeah, definitely a big difference this time versus last time. And for me, I mean, going into this, I mean, if just, just like a theoretical question, can the fed help the little guy or can the fed help the consumer? I mean, outside of this event, my natural experience would be not really right. They can discount rates and yeah, maybe borrowing costs go down, but does that really help the little guy? Nope. Sure enough, they figured out a way to go, okay, we're going to do this. We're going to do that. We're going to start doing direct lending, right? They're talking to banks now about doing direct lending, which is like mind-blowing yeah. possibilities, what, what could be coming. So lots of more ammunition. For that, not that they're not, not to be cynical, mm-hmm. but I don't think it's necessarily because they care more about the little guy and the small oh. businesses this time. But what the reality is, is because of this type of, crisis, this type of event where there's mass quick unemployment, you know, 26 mm-hmm. million people the last I checked. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a huge amount of unemployment. They have a real risk of not only not being able to keep inflation at 2%, which is what their, their goals of are monetary policy, mm-hmm. but of heading into a severe depression and deflation. And oh, that's yeah. very, very, very difficult to get out of. So most of the tools you see the Fed doing with the quantitative easing, with the rates rising, rising and falling, they're trying to keep inflation at 2% because mm-hmm. that's considered like the safe level of consistent inflation that doesn't let you go into hyperinflation or a deflationary spiral. Mm-hmm. So everything that they've done with the two primary tools that we've seen for years and years is to keep that inflation at 2%. Well, mm-hmm. if your GDP dries up because your people can't work and they can't spend and they can't pay their mortgage. And yep. let's face it, 70% or so of the of American families don't have $5,000 saved yeah. as of the, the last several years. So one month of not being employed could eat any savings that they might have. And then they still have to worry about, you know, putting food on the table and mortgages, car payments, anything else they have like school loans. So mm-hmm what the Fed is showing us is they're going to pull out all the stops to keep us from going into that depression and deflationary spiral. Mm-hmm. The way they do that is to give money to people who can't work because they're keeping us home. So that's why we're seeing these, I think these types of actions, that's different than what we had before, mm-hmm. but, it, but it's good for us and good for the economy. Yeah. Again, as far as I'm concerned, the, the government, whoever you want to label the government, um, they told us to stay home and, that has a direct impact on a, a pretty large percentage of the population because a lot of, a lot of people work 
physical hours, right? They can't work behind their computer. Um, like, so when you tell everybody to stay home, that hurts and you've got to take care of those folks because if you don't and you don't have $5,000 saved up, you're, you know, you, you, you very quickly get to social unrest and, and other bad outcomes. And then the mortgage market, the trillion dollar mortgage market blows up and uh, you have yeah. a great, you know, you could have a, you know, you could have the great depression squared, frankly, if you, if you For didn't sure. do this. So, right. Um, and I think some of the things that I know we didn't get to yet, what the announcements mm -hmm. are today and we will, but I yep. think some of the, the reasons we're seeing things like we we're about to talk about for today is because the initial stopgap was, you know, just give everybody money. Yeah. But the second thing that they did was say mortgage forbearances. Yeah. So, I mean, that sent our mortgage markets into crisis mode exactly. and on the verge of collapse for both mortgage servicers, mortgage lenders, lots of loans dried up that were in process because yeah. more, the mortgage-backed security market was, was suddenly crushed with the idea that they have to keep paying everything on the back end without getting any money on the front end. So some yeah. of the things that they're doing, you know, they put the money in the hand of the little guy. I think in hindsight, it's easier to, to, to be, you know, to, to look in hindsight and say what they should have done. Mm. But I think they should have said, Hey, all this money we're going to give you, you must pay your rent and your mortgage. And if you don't, you got to pay it back. There then you, you don't have all this downward cycle, but mm -hmm. since they didn't, and, and it is what it is, mm -hmm. what they've done today, really is related to keeping the mortgage market stable and to keep people lending, despite the fact that some people might lose jobs and not be as credit worthy. So yeah. one of the things that they did today was they said they're going to keep the Fed funds rate at zero to a quarter percent. So essentially yep. zero until the economy stabilizes or they reach 2% inflation, which is mm. their goal. So what that tells us is it's going to be some time that we're going to see some really, really low Fed rates. And while that doesn't necessarily equate to mortgage rates in the consumer world, when you're dealing with commercial mortgages like apartment buildings where you're, bought, you know, you're buying at the treasury rate and a spread often with mm -hmm. these agency loans, it means you could see agency loans for a, quite a while, you know, two and a half percent, 2.8 percent, three, you know, three and a quarter, if that depending on you know, the spreads, but it means we're gonna see low, hopefully, mortgage interest rates for quite some time and in a predictable manner. Mm -hmm. I don't remember, Michael, seeing for a very long time them saying beyond, well, maybe next quarter we could yeah. raise, we could lower. You really are kind of guessing when you're playing a long-term hold game whether you wanna you know, buy at yeah. a certain rate. Mm -hmm. Now it's like, hey, we're gonna keep loan, you know, rates low, so we as investors can expect lower rates to borrow for mortgages for quite some time. And that's very helpful in stability and predicting where things are going to go. Yeah. Um, as well as telling us that they are really still trying to maintain 2%. They're, they know that and they're not going to do anything that seems like it cr could create high, hyperinflation either, sure. which I think is another big concern. So how they achieve that, I don't pretend to know uh, with them pumping all this money in. But it tells us that number one, they want to keep rates low because they want us to keep buying yep. and they want to stimulate the economy. And they also want to make sure we don't get, go into hyperinflation and we keep that 2% somehow. Yeah. And that's well, all good news. So that's of, just the first thing about today. Yeah. So one of the things I'm asking all my experts this week is, okay, the, yesterday was, I don't think they're going to raise. I also don't think they're going to cut because a lot of people now are talking about when are they going to go negative. But let's take sure. that. Let's take the negative conversation for later. When do you think the Fed has the Fed funds rate above 1%? So a full, you know, three or four raises in the future by quarter points. Can you see that happening in the next decade? 
decade, maybe next three to four years. I don't think so. No chance. And again, I don't have a crystal ball, but just based on what we know, you know, we were already talking before this crisis happened that we were going to be heading into a recession Mm -hmm. in the next year, year and a half, we thought, you know, if all things remain stable. So if we did go into recession, recessionary territory, and it took another 18 months, that's, that's three years out before rates really start coming out. That's before this crisis. So with this crisis thrown in there, you know, if I had to guess for the purposes of when I buy, you know, yeah. properties, what is it going to look like in a few years if I have to refinance? That's yes. really the only reason we care to look beyond three or four years. Exactly. Is I think when I go to refi, I'm going to maybe by then have slightly higher interest rates. But I think this is so big of a, of a crisis in terms of what it does to our unemployment for a while and the American public who's spending in order to mm-hmm. raise GDP, their psychology of what they're willing to spend money on um, and, and what kind of uh, money they're willing to spend for things above just what they need versus you know, all the sexy bells and whistles. Yeah. So I think rates are going to stay really low for three to five years at least. Yeah, I, I would tell you, I bet you there's a pretty good, I'm betting right now it's a decade or more. Right. If the over under was a decade, I would say I'll take the over. But again, my crystal ball doesn't work that far. That's just a pure guess. Lots of lots of stuff being created. And to your last point, I think unemployment is going to be stickier on the way down. Mm -hmm. I also think your last point about consumer behavior changing is also valid. Right. As I read more and more about the depression, consumer psychology was changed forever. There are generations that were impacted by that 12 years that really never changed and right. that carried them. And they were always savers, right? That's just yeah. that mindset reusing aluminum foil. Right. I mean, they're just all these sure. stories I'm reading. I and think, I think this what you see now that. is now you have people that have now lived through two major financial crises in our lifetime in just yeah. over a decade. Yeah. And so, you know, I got really gun shy because I lived through 08 and 09. And, you know, I've shared my story with how hard it was to crawl out of it. Yeah. It took several years. I became a really conservative investor because of that, because I never wanted to be in a situation where I didn't have a lot of liquidity in case I lost my job, lost mm-hmm. our investments and everything. Mm-hmm. So living through that twice for so many people who maybe weren't able to pull out of it because they're not investing and they're still mm-hmm. in their W-2. Now people are saying, you know, I can't depend on my job. I can't depend on my retirement accounts. I can't depend on the economy. And I think it's going to really change um, the, the living habits and, and our spending habits for a long time to come. Um, and, and to your point about a 10-year prediction, you know, I thought before, after 09, that after a few years, rates would come up. But the Fed really didn't try to jack up rates until the end of 2018. Yeah, it was 18. And when they did that, within a couple months, the market started to go crazy. And they saw this is not the time. We can't actually do this. The market isn't as stable as we thought it was. Mm -hmm. And when they pulled back rates early 2019, that told me the economy is not as strong as we think it is. Or it wouldn't have rumbled and they wouldn't have changed the rates. So, you know, it was a full nine to 10 years before they attempted to get rates above four and a half percent. And this is worse maybe than 08 or 09. Oh, it's worse. Uh, So, so, (laughs) you know, 10 years very well could be, you know, it it very well could be a 10 year run uh, of low rates again. Yeah. 
So the other thing to talk about, given you brought it up, and then we'll get into the next two things the Fed did is unemployment. Those are the two questions I'm asking my guests each, the, the experts this week. And this question about unemployment is, when do you think we see single digits, meaning 9.9 or less? How far out? What is it, 21, 22, 23? I think some of this depends on how long this goes. You know, mm. there's still so much uncertainty of, okay, some states are going to open back up in May and some mm -hmm. are going to open back up, you know, may, maybe May 8th or some June, depending on how hard hit they are. Yeah. You have states like my state and like Maryland now that are saying, well, we're going to open in zone. So it's like red, yellow, green. If we see an uptick of so many cases, then we go back to yellow and, and maybe, you know, people talking about governors doing this in waves and maybe shutting down again. Mm -hmm. So the question is, when the uptick in, in infections from COVID-19 happen, when we get back to more interaction, mm -hmm. is the government going to say, we flattened the curve, we expect that these are going to go up for a while, but we've got to be able to, to get control of it. We're going to keep the economy moving, maybe quarantine those that are, yeah. that are weaker and older, but let things keep going. If that happens, you know, I think the numbers are better. But if they say, well, if there's an uptick, this, this whole, you know, hoping for herd immunity didn't work and now we're going to quarantine you again. Mm. Who's to say that we aren't made to stay home again for another month over and over again? Yeah. So who's actually talking about that? Yeah. And so there's still so much unknown as to what the government, state, local, yeah. and federal is going to do to open us up permanently versus in waves that it's very hard to predict. But yeah. I think we could safely say that many small businesses will not recover. Oh. We already knew that most businesses have about two weeks of total liquidity that they could have no business coming in. Yeah. Some that are stronger had a month. Right. So many didn't qualify for the PPP or the EIDL and have already gone under. A lot of restaurants and hospitality will never come back. And so if you have a job in those areas that are highly subject to hospitality and, and restaurants and any other small business, you know, I, I think those areas are going to be hit for a very long time. Yeah. You look at Las Vegas, you look at Orlando, very tourist driven places that, that require masses of people gathering and not being afraid. Mm -hmm. Those businesses, number one, could be shut down multiple times. Number two, because of the psyche that we talked about, you're just going to have less people going there. And so I think in those kind of economies and, and regions where the economy is dependent on a large gathering of people for a long time, all of those small businesses that cater to that are going to likely struggle for years, even if they make it through this, mm -hmm. it'll take them years to come out from under it. And so I think you see mass unemployment in those areas and those businesses um, that, that cater to hospitality and large gatherings. Yeah. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking it's the summer of 22, right? I think, I don't think we see single digits. Certainly this year isn't going to happen. Probably not next year. It's, it's just not going to come back as fast as we all wish it can. Right. Right. Um, unfortunately. But again, I, I share this because our jobs as investors is to look at the landscape and make decisions. And some of that is about how you see the future going. That's why, that's why I ask. And that's why I share. I'm not a, I'm a glass half full. I'm excited about what's coming, but. Yeah. 
And I think, you know, there will always be opportunity. And, and just like in real estate and in everything else, you know, in the economy, there, there are opportunities and businesses that will fare well. Um, and there are opportunities and businesses that won't fare well. And so if you see there are businesses where maybe a particular business didn't do well because they didn't have enough reserves and this hit them really hard, but yet it's a fundamental business that supplies fundamental uh, product that people need, then you can say this business may be really strong and maybe that's the opportunity for us to go in and, and help some of these business owners out and buy businesses, you I know, and so, keep yeah. them afloat. Um, so it, it's very regionalized. I, I was reading some data today um, put out through CoStar on a webinar that they mm. did where they sliced and diced, you know, different areas and different industries who were hit the hardest and how bad they were hit and their likelihood of recovering. And so, you know, oil um, is going to be hit hard for a while, you know, mm -hmm. um, trucking. I didn't think about trucking because I thought, well, trucking's going all over. You need trucking. Mm -hmm. But in certain areas of the country, those trucking companies have gone under and they mm -hmm. may not come back. And so I think as investors, we've got to get really, really good, not only in trying to predict and see, you know, see what the signs are and figure out what might happen. But when we're looking at markets now, we, we're looking at it from a different lens of, not only does your market need to have a lot of diverse industry, which we've preached for a long time, yep. but you've got to make sure that what you, what you thought of as a strong industry may or may not be strong, you know, tomorrow shopping yeah. malls. Yeah. Well, you know, people are going to start online shopping and use Peapod for groceries. So, you know, are you going to be wanting to be in an area that that seems like it's very busy and robust, but it's a lot of shopping and restaurants and grocery stores and stuff like that? Maybe not as strong as what it was before COVID. So that, that's why we think through these things to your point, but it, yeah. it's very regionalized. I totally agree. So let's get back to the Fed. We talked to, in your note that you put out, you talked about three things. We've touched on the first one. Why don't you hit the second one? So the second one is the Fed has announced that they are going to uh, continue to aggressively buy mortgage-backed securities. And the reason that that's really, really important right now is that I don't know the exact statistic, but the vast majority of loans that are done in our country are securitized, meaning Correct. that once the loan is issued, the loan um, producer sells that loan and they sell it on the so secondary market, mm -hmm. packaged with a whole bunch of other loans, which become a mortgage-backed security. And in theory, if they put, let's say, a thousand loans together and four or five or six default, it doesn't matter because most of them are going to be stable. And so the buyers of those mortgage-backed securities view mortgage-backed securities as really safe and gives them a little bit better rate than treasuries would or a CD. Well, when all of a sudden the government says, not only can you not work, but you don't have to pay your mortgage. Yeah. Mortgage servicers who are just paid a, a very small percent. Oh of yeah, it's tiny. And your mortgage. Yeah. Suddenly still have to contractually pay the mortgage backed security owners, but yet they have no money coming in. So I read that over 55% of mortgage-backed security, I'm sorry, of loan servicers, servicers. servicers were begging the Fed to act within 48 hours or they would go under because they did not have the liquidity to keep paying mortgage-backed securities. But also these lenders who are also lenders and servicers, they were shorting securities, mortgage-backed securities, <laughs> so that they could hedge the interest rate risk that they have between the time they lock your rate 
and the time they sell it to the mortgage-backed securities. So mm. mortgage backs became too risky and suddenly most mortgage-backed security buyers were like, I'm out. And what that did is mo it, it stopped a lot of loans. This is oh, why yeah. you see Chase and Wells Fargo saying there's certain loans we won't do anymore. And many, many private lenders that are issuing, you know, could not sell them. I had a, a property for sale and my buyer's loan got pulled because they had no end buyer. So they've stopped commercial lending for that division because they can't have a buyer in mortgage back. So in order to provide stability and keep lending, you know, they cut the rate. Now they need to be able to keep lending to people. They've got to have an end buyer of these securities or the servicers and lenders just will not do them because they can't afford to keep the loan and the risk on their balance sheet. Yep. They yep. only do, they only issue you the loan so they can take their fee. So then they can sell the risk to somebody else. Correct. So the Fed is saying, listen, even if we don't have all these private mortgage-backed security buyers for a while, we're going to step in and we'll be the primary buyer of mortgage-backed securities. And that allows lenders and servicers to say, okay, we no longer have this huge risk that we can't sell the loan, that the loan goes bad as soon as we issue it because somebody loses their job next month. And then we have to increase reserves and then we can't lend as much. So it provides some stability knowing that the, the federal government through the various agencies will continue to be a buyer of mortgage-backed securities and, and bring that sh assurance to lenders and servicers so that they will keep doing loans. Yeah. And again, they are, they're attacked. That one was a self-created problem. My guess is it was yes. politically expedient to say everybody gets 90 day forbearance. Uh, politicians not knowing the implications of how that would just blow up right a, a chain right the the mortgage market's a big chain and if you just break one of the links it all stops so yeah because uh, initially the fed said well okay the way we're going to fix it is we're going to buy a bunch of mortgage backed securities well when they did it increased the market for mortgage backs which immediately had an impact on the rates which which called all these these mortgage companies to have their options called when they were shorting the <laughs> they were shorting yeah <laughs> and then they had to suddenly go, wait a second, you, you government, you just created a massive liquidity problem for us because you bought too much too quickly. So exactly. then they pulled off and quit buying. So today's announcement was kind of a reversal and like, okay, we are going to be the buyer. We're going to probably do it more carefully. And I think what will happen is there could be some impact on how long of a rate lock you get. Yeah, for uh, sure. Because they won't, the, 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 the servicers may not be able to, or, or the, the lenders may not be able to hedge as easily when they know that the government's going to be buying. But when you take out the private buyers and you're placed with the government, I think there's going to be some stability in oh, yeah. how much mortgage backs are, are bought you know, consistently. But yeah. this fixes the problem that they inadvertently created. No question. And the other thing I think you can count on as an investor is I don't know what the real number is, but I'll just take a wild guess. I think rates are going to be a point to a point and a half lower because the Fed did what they did, right? If they were not the buyer, rates would be higher and probably much higher. Right. That, that's what we talked about, I think, a week or two ago was I really suspected mortgage interest rates were going to go up because mm -hmm. for mortgage-backed security investors to want to buy mortgage-backed securities, they bought them before because they thought they were safe. Yep. So if you still have a period of uncertainty and buyers now also what was announced earlier this week, or maybe it was late last week is now um, Fannie and Freddie came out and said, by the way, all you loan loan servicers, you cannot demand a um, balloon payment on day 91 for these. I saw that. 
So now you have to provide these borrowers with workouts. So that provided some stability. Yeah. Um, but it also tells us that, you know, now less people are going to go into foreclosure probably because the servicers are going to be nudged hard to modify loans rather than immediately foreclose. I, um, I don't know if I buy that. I, m- maybe. I mean, that's certainly wishful. Th- I just think it extends the, I just think this process gets longer and messier. Well, it does. You don't have a, a you don't have a mass inflow yes. of foreclosure. Yeah, you don't have a smack so, you in the face on yeah, day ninety one. Yeah, I think it'll still happen, but not as quickly. Yeah, yes, um, and just, so it 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 spreads the risk over time. Yes, correct. But rates would have gone up because anyone that was going to buy a mortgage backed would have to say, "I need more safety that oh, I yeah. know that I can depend on this rate being paid to me." not just, you know, be hopeful. So, um, you know, what they did definitely provided stability and will keep the mortgage rates lower because the Fed is the one taking the risk and not as many private mortgage-backed security buyers, in my opinion. Oh yeah, there's no question. And the fact that the Fed is the buyer, again, they're not as, they're not looking for some return, right? They don't say, oh, I need 4% or I'm not playing, right? Which is what a private person could say is, I won't accept anything less than X. The Fed's like, no, man, keep the machine going. I don't and care. that's a really good point that I really didn't think through that um, as I saw it, you know, an hour ago. But the fact that right now a lot of the risk on the servicers, they still have to pay the mortgage-backed security owners mm-hmm. on the back end, even if they're not getting that money in. If the Fed is the main buyer of mortgage back, the Fed could say, mm-hmm. okay, even though we're telling people they don't have to pay and you have to do workouts will let you delay your payments to us exactly. as the end owner. So that's a really good point, Michael. Yeah. yeah. And then the Fed did a third thing today that was interesting. And again, for everybody who thinks the Fed is out of bullets, you're not paying attention. So let's talk about the third thing. Uh, the third thing. <laughs> I, have to pull, I have to pull up your Facebook post because it was really good. <laughs> um, hold on. Mortgage backed. Um, Oh, they created 10 new, they're announcing that they're creating 10 new loan programs specifically to provide liquidity and stability to small businesses and to consumers. So we don't know exactly what those programs are going to be, but what it does tell us is the Fed is specifically going to roll out additional stimulus and ways for us to borrow money presumably mm-hmm. at very low rates because the Fed rate is zero. Yeah, this is, so this, that, is, this is the Fed coming over the Treasury. The Treasury tried to do the PPP and idle and all these other things for, S, for the small and medium businesses. It's not working. Too many big businesses got it. They're coming out saying, nope, we got you. We'll create 10 new programs. We will flood banks with these applications and limits, and they will be gobs of money available is what, what I, how I read it. Absolutely. And what that does is it not only helps consumers and helps small businesses that are, like we said, on the verge of just collapse and going away forever. These programs, depending on how robust they are, depending on how easy they are to administer and how much money is available, really could prevent that from happening and allow some of these small businesses to survive when they otherwise might go under. We just don't know what to expect until we see the details of the program. But the Mm -hmm. fact that they're thinking of 10 specific programs and all 10 are geared toward consumers and small businesses is is huge. So I I think it's really good news. I I have a little bit of of nervousness about how all of this money keeps us from eventually going into hyper supply. I I still wonder that in the back of my mind. Oh, for sure. But when we have risk of depression and 
um, a downward spiral of deflation. And then you've got other things that could cause, you know, hypersupply. I tend to think it's going to balance itself out. And hopefully these economists are smart enough to say, Here, here's the balance and how we keep, you know, that, that inflation at 2%. So, yeah. you know, there, there's negatives that could be, that could make it really scary for deflation. And there's sure. negatives that can make it really scary for inflation. But um, things are starting to come together, yeah. which is giving me more confidence in the Fed than I had before this happened. Yeah, I think there's a couple of things I want to bring up. We'll talk about inflation. Deflation is the next topic. Uh, okay. But I want to talk about these 10 loans or 10 programs or whatever they're called. My hope is, I guess this is my hope. I'll just put it out there as harsh as it sounds. Um, there's just a bunch of small businesses now that can't survive in the new model, right? Restaurants were built, lease space, fixed cost when you could have 50 or 100 people there. Now with six feet, social distancing, you got 20 tables. It just doesn't work anymore. So what I hope happens, at least in the majority, if not all of the 10 programs, is businesses just go through bankruptcy or whatever that is. They just shut down. But we have these very exciting new programs for these small, the new restaurants, the new dry cleaner, the new nail salon, the new massage place, or whatever they are. I want these to be loans that can start entrepreneurs opening their first business that's what I hope these new loan programs, at least the majority of them are, because just like retailers, like JCPenney's and Nordstrom's and all these people, they operated and secured space in an old model that doesn't work. And they've been losing money forever. This pin popped the bubble. Just call it a day. Go to bankruptcy. The American economy is great because you can go bankrupt. You don't go to jail. But let's have programs from the Fed that says, hey, if you create a new business and you employ five people within the next 12 months, your interest rate is zero. And oh, by the way, if you have 25 people in two years, we'll forgive 25%. I mean, just whatever, right? That's the key, Michael, because when you initially said that for the first time, I went, <laughs> and the reason, the reason that I had that initial reaction is because I started a business. Yeah. My husband started a business, but for all intents and purposes, I was in it too. <laughs> lots and lots of debt in 2007 yes, through SBA loans. Yep. So even though the, the Fed at the height of the market was saying, here's all this money. Yes, you can start a business even though you don't have any, any money. It's really what set us back for years trying to mm. climb out of that and not go into bankruptcy. And yeah. so I think if, if it's just loans, hey, start a small business, number one, they might provide the loans, but I think number two, people would be too scared to do it. Yeah. Uh, because of what's happening. But three, I hate to see people go into massive debt to start a business that maybe they shouldn't just because there's suddenly loans available mm. because there's risk with that. Sure. But what you said that made me go, ah, much better <laughs> is if you employ so many people and you stay open for so long, we'll forgive it. And exactly. It'll a brand because that is a totally different story. That's a real way to incentivize people that the government's helping them mitigate the risk of failure because a huge number of small businesses fail the first year. Oh, absolutely. Then, then another huge percentage fail of the ones that are left in the next four. So mm -hmm. being a small business owner is very tough and risky anyway. Yes. But when the Fed incentivizes you through some type of grant, exactly. kind of like they do with teachers, you know, if you get your teaching degree and you go teach in a third world country, you know, you can have that forgiven. Or if ah, you get a... Yeah. Um, a doctorate and you agree to work in a, a low income hospital for so long, they'll forgive some of those, some there of those. So I think that's a really good idea, Michael, as long as it, it comes with basically no interest 
rates yeah, and I think, forgiveness component. I think yeah. it has to be sub 1% for the first year. But I do think at some mark, and I'd like it to be at year two, maybe year three, because you, I don't, as a taxpayer, I don't want to see someone give it a shot, go out of business in a year and just blow the money on stupid right. stuff, right? Right. But if you get to some point, two or three years, you have a certain number of employees, I want to celebrate that with you. You helped get us out of this. You helped lower double-digit unemployment to single digits. You now have tax revenue, which you're paying on. It's, it just feels like it'd be a wonderful idea. And we can flush a lot of the old businesses out that just can't, they just fundamentally can't survive in the new model. Right. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think all that's, I think all of it's really good news today. I think it, it provides some level of stability. Mm-hmm. You know, the reality is we're still going to have a lot of people really hit hard. We're still no, going to have businesses sure. that fail. We're still going to have some foreclosures and, and, you know, some, some tough times, but I think overall we see a little more stabilizing and, and like you said, just kind of drawing out the timetable for some of these things to happen mm-hmm. at a, a more usual pace rather than just a sudden slew of, you know, mass un- unemployment, mass business closures, yeah. mass foreclosures. Um, you that, know, so yeah, that 91 day, less, what's yeah. that? That 91 day thing that was out there until last week, that was going to be a problem. For sure. That was going to be a problem. So let's talk about deflation, inflation. My thoughts on that is we are certainly going to see deflation for the first time in my adult lifetime, certainly Q2, Q3, probably Q4. Uh, But then we we get that out because we just have the supply that's kind of just sitting out there and no demand just means prices come down. Look at oil uh, for the greatest example. Um, But then, you know, inflation is around the corner and I, I chuckle at the idea of trying to hold inflation at 2%. That's where I chuckle. I'm like, yeah, you could talk about 2%, but I, but like by 2023, 24, when unemployment's at 7%, you have a minimum wage at now $15, which I think is coming. Good luck. Um, I, 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 that, that is where I chuckle. Uh, I, don't, I don't know how you see in deflation, inflation, how that spectrum and timeline works together. Yeah, you know, I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, and the more that I actually study it and listen to economists and and what they have to say, the more I realize how extremely complex it is and mm-hmm. how extremely difficult it is to really um, keep the economy from going into deflation or hyperinflation. Mm-hmm. It's a very fine dance, and it's very. Um, it's very complicated. So it just makes me less sure of what I thought I know the more I study it. When you're dealing with times of crisis like yeah. this that, that really are unprecedented. And yeah. I know it seems like we're overusing that word, but there's our, our American economy is so intricate and everything is so interdependent in a way that people don't even realize mm-hmm. that you know one um, domino goes and it knocks the next one and the next one and the next one. And, and you can technically have a deflation of the cost of goods and mm-hmm. still have inflation and in interest rates and vice versa. Yeah. So, you know, it doesn't happen very long, but there's a lot of compounding factors that, that make it very difficult to, to say which way is it going yeah, it's, beyond it's yeah. you know, the next couple of years. So I really don't know. I mean, I think I think everything that's happening is going to have some fallout and consequence on the economy at some point. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and yes, if we think too far ahead of all the, you know, what ifs and what, what things could happen, yeah. it could get pretty scary either yeah. way. 
Um, so I think you just, you look a couple of years ahead at, you know, what, what's happening now, what can we tell predictively, you know, yeah. these actions like today are going to do, whether it's going to give you less or more chance of heading in one direction or another. Mm -hmm. I think what we're seeing today is they're trying to hold off deflation harder than they are trying to prevent inflation. Yeah, I should. Of how much money they're pushing in? Yeah, I should. I guess I should be really clear because when you say inflation, deflation, sometimes people think about that differently. So let me be very clear. When I was referring to deflation, I was referring to the CPI, right? The basket of goods. Yeah. Or you know, gas, food, clothes, technology, healthcare, college, right? The number that makes up CPI. There is no chance that is not deflationary, meaning a negative print in Q2 and probably Q3. I agree. Just with given you. what. It makes that basket. However, in the same time frame, we could absolutely have asset inflation, right? Asset, inf because again, that's where the Fed is impacting, right? The Fed can impact assets, i.e. see the stock market when you have a very big disconnect between the stock market and Main Street. That is the Fed working overtime. So yes, we can have asset inflation. I was referring to CPI, what you and I spend at the grocery store or the gas station. That is going to be a negative sure. print for the first time that I can remember. Yeah, I think for a couple of years for sure. Yeah, yeah. So uh, this is very cool. Again, I feel really good. I, I read the same articles you did. Uh, it's amazing what the Fed can do when they really put their mind to it. I did. I like the, the 10 loan program. Obviously, not a lot of meat on the bone. I can imagine somebody coming up with that at dinner. Oh, we should create our own loans because the PPP is not working. So let's just do we'll it ourselves. 10 more. <laughs> yeah, just add that to the press release. No, we won't say anything about it. Just 10 more. We struggle with the three that we have now, but we're going to give you two more. Ten more. So. <laughs> why, why not eight? Why not 12? Uh, whatever, 10. Tens of double digits. Ten's a good number. Uh, this is so much fun. So I, uh, any, any closing thoughts as we wrap uh, this great conversation up? No, I, I think, you know, this, this is things that we can be optimistic about. Absolutely. And I think everybody needs some, some things that we can see that, that are optimistic and that show us, you know, that the world's not collapsing. This isn't the end of America. You know, things are going to be okay. Um, and that our government is showing at least, you know, whether you like how they're handling all of this or not, they really are doing a lot to try to bring us back to as close to normal as possible as soon as they can and mm -hmm. actually help the consumer. And as investors, um, it's positive news because even though, you know, on one hand we go, ooh, if all these things happen, it could be opportunity. On the other hand, we have real lives at stake, our, our own businesses, our tenants, you know, we want the best for the economy. And so I'd rather things stay, you know, fairly status quo um, than for them to go crazy and, and the totally world agree. go crazy and try to capitalize on that. So totally um, it's good for our current asset prices and our, our values. It's good for our rents to stay, you know, more stable um, and it's good for the economy overall. So I'm excited about today and, and the, the good news that's been coming out the last couple of days in that regard. Very cool. Well, we will end it on that. Good news, good news, good news. Thank you, Anna, for uh, some time today. Thank you so much. Yep. Talk